Hello and welcome to the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be a continuation on our current series on technocracy. This is the beginning of our shift into the next evolution of technocracy. So the past few episodes have been focused on an initial more material technocracy and this episode as well as the next few are focused more on something more immaterial more focused on the social body more rhizomatic so to say and so this is the first episode of that the previous episode last week's was kind of bridging the gap between the two and now we are officially getting into this next phase of technocracy and the allusions that I'm using for this, the historical examples through writings, would be Plato's Republic, as well as Huxley's Brave New World, as well as Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. So this first episode is on the Republic by uh, Plato, and this is one that I have covered in the past. So with all of these, I think all of them at least, at least most of them, I have talked about at various times in other episodes, but with most of them, I have covered the majority of the content from a new perspective, a new angle, brought in new aspects of the writings, new concepts from the authors, these types of things. However, I will say that with Republic, I'm not quite sure how well I will be able to do that. I can say that I have covered Republic probably more than any other writing in the history of this podcast, and I'm not going to go back and listen to every single episode I've done where I've referenced it and then mark down all the things I said and then make sure that I do something different. That was a little easier with the others because I hadn't really done a whole lot on them. I've just commented on them here and there, but... With this one, I have covered it multiple times, and so I will apologize to long-term listeners who do not want to hear any of this again. Uh, I will still try to hit a different perspective. I'll be applying this to what we're talking about now with the technocracy, especially this evolution of technocracy, and so you will get some new stuff, but there is a chance that if you compiled all the episodes I've done on Republic all the way back from season one all the way to now, then maybe 75% of this I have covered here and there in bits and pieces, but this does all bring it all together. I'll bring it into the context of technocracy and applies it to what's going on now. So kind of like I've mentioned before, how if you have not listened to the show in its entirety, how you should. You should go back to episode one and it all builds on itself. My hope is that it's also the same with this content from Republic, that you should start from the beginning. Ideally, you've listened to everything I've said about it up till now throughout the history of the podcast, and it does build on itself. As we get further, you get more depth, you get more application, you get a wider range of perspectives. So that's my goal, at least, and that should be a good enough introduction to what we're doing here. I do have a few announcements to make. The first would be that there is a local meetup going on with mostly agorists that has a guest speaker that some of my listeners should be familiar with. That would be Nicole Sauce. She is of Living Free in Tennessee. She has her own podcast as well as she is a guest host on Unloose the Goose podcast, which also has people like Pete Quinones, Jack Spirico, Xavier Hawk. Uh, Vin Armani was actually on it in the first few episodes. And so if you're interested, this is something happening in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it is happening on January the 6th. So if you are relatively local to that area, then it's probably something you would be really interested in. I've talked about Agoras groups that I am aware of in my area, and this is being hosted by one of those. So that's something you should be interested in. If you want more details on it, probably the best place would be to go to ChattanoogaVoluntarySociety.com, and there's a page on there for events and just find the, I think it's called a monthly meetup event. It's being held at a place called Crabtree Farms. And that is something definitely worth looking at. 
If you are just interested in general and things going on and other groups setting stuff up, the Chattanooga Voluntary Society is one worth looking up, definitely. It's definitely applying all of these ideals and concepts and uh, systems of ideology that most of us believe in. This would be things similar to liberty and freedom and agorism and operating outside of the system, these types of things. So if you want to see an example of some folks that are getting together and organizing this type of stuff, the Chattanooga Voluntary Society is a good example. The site, I think, just launched, so it's not complete yet, but you do get a good feel and they have finished all the important parts at least. So that's worth checking out. And another event that I wanted to mention is the Homestead Business Weekend. And this is one that is occurring at the end of January, I believe the 21st and 22nd, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I think this is south of Nashville, if I remember right. It's in Columbia, or at least just outside of Columbia, Tennessee. And it has speakers such as Joel Salatin and Justin Rhodes and some other names you might be familiar with. So if you're in the homesteading world, or if you've gotten into permaculture, these types of things, you've probably heard of these folks and you might be interested in what's going on there. As of this recording, there are only about 30 tickets left over. So if you, again, are in the southeast area, somewhere around Tennessee, Georgia, uh, that neck of the woods, then it might be something you're interested in. And if any listeners are going to that and are interested, please do reach out to me because that is something that me as well as some folks that I know probably will be attending. And it'd be great to be able to meet up with folks and meet some new people. So I think that is it for that. I'm going to start off with Plato's Republic. Now, with this, I have a lot more notes than I had for the other ones, so I might go through this a little quicker, and it might be a little more broad in context, but again, I'll bring it all into the context of technocracy. That's my goal here, and Plato does sum up a lot of the things that we've been going over in the past few episodes, talking about these different aspects of technocracy. He really does bring it into this next evolution and does that very well. So I'm going to go over all these different things and probably skip over some of them that are not quite as applicable to what we're discussing and try to make it through the whole list. We will see what I can do. And in case you're interested, this is roughly chronological to the book. So I did make these notes while I was reading the book in order of coming across them. So uh, in a way, this is at least much more of a summary than you've gotten with the other books, but it's still not a summary. That's not the goal. It's just pulling out things that are relevant and discussing those specific aspects. So the first thing that Plato wants to cover in this book is the question of what is justice? And likewise, what is injustice? I imagine that the answer should sound pretty familiar to you. As he goes through the dialogue, basically the point is that justice is order and injustice is opposition to that order or chaos. And yes, this is basically the same thing that the other authors have said. He is just applying this on a more macro level, so to say. The others have applied this specifically to a ruler ruling over a group of people, and Plato is applying this to all of reality and all of society. And again, this is the point of the evolution of technocracy, is that it's no longer this very specific material hierarchical system ruling over a certain population. Uh, the evolution of technocracy is bigger. It is There is still a population of people that are being managed, so to say, but it's on a much bigger scale. It is much more immaterial. There's not so much of a hierarchy. There's not necessarily a leader at the top. It's very different. And that is more the perspective that Plato has as well. He also brings up this question of who is a friend and likewise, who is an enemy? And it goes right along with justice and injustice. If someone is contributing to order, and they are maintaining order, 
then they would be considered a friend. And if they are contributing to chaos, if they are opposing order, then they should be considered an enemy. And so he gets into the logical question of which is better? Is it justice or is it injustice? And there are reasons as to why he would say that injustice at times actually is better than justice. There are times when it takes uh, what we would consider immoral things in order to solidify and maintain order. And in those times, injustice is actually better than justice. There are also times when doing the right thing does not net you very positive results. And so in those cases, justice might not be as good as injustice. But when you go to the broad definition that he lays out as justice being order and injustice being chaos or opposition to order, then that takes it out of the realm that we would normally think of it with immorality versus morality, this type of perspective. And this is more where he's coming from. So he does get into the benefits of each and the issues with each, all of these types of things. So that's kind of the beginning and the overall umbrella of what he talks about. And that should give some context to basically everything else. Now, with the next part, he starts talking about education. And as I've talked about many times on this show as well, education is the key to society. He says that in order to maintain order and have a just society, you must control education. That is the number one thing. Education is uh, something that all of society and all individuals are based on. It is the foundation for every individual person. It is the foundation for the society as a whole. This is why education is so important. And he'll get into that a little more later, but that is one of his biggest focuses is on education. Now, he does talk a little bit about God and the nature of God. So I've used the example of the original church in this season of the podcast, and he has some fairly similar views of God. Now, he does give the caveat at the end, well, maybe there is no God, and if so, then God has no impact and therefore it's irrelevant. So it doesn't change anything. But assuming there is a God and he seems to believe that there is, Aristotle had some similar views, at least similar. And what Plato says is that God exists and is perfect. And if we take that as our presupposition, then all creations are perfect or they are not from him. Because if he is perfect, then anything that comes from him is perfect. And knowledge of God comes from the poets, but the poets are not very consistent. So interpretation has to be made, and that interpretation should come from the state or from you know, the way he uses states is not the hierarchical term that we would. It's more these philosopher kings that are ruling over things, more of a technocratic view of things, but that the governors of society are the ones who should be interpreting because right now, uh, from his perspective, people get their knowledge of God from the poets and the poets have different stories about the gods. And some of them actually portray the gods as not being perfect, as not being good, as doing bad things, of doing evil. They portray things that to him are not in line with this idea of God existing. God is perfect and his creations are perfect. And so because of this and because there are inconsistencies with how the poets, uh, I guess, talk about the gods, how they portray the gods, then the poets aren't really the or shouldn't really be the source of information for the people because it could mislead the people and they are not giving an accurate depiction. So instead, the state should be the one that determines what God is and everything surrounding that and control that narrative. Now, although he would say that God exists, God is perfect, therefore his creations are perfect, 
I believe there is still room here for something similar to the Christian view of the fact that originally things were perfect. The ideal is for things to be perfect, but there is corruption that has come into play. And therefore the majority of things are corrupted, at least in our current reality. And the goal is to bring them back from corruption to perfection. And that kind of is at least the, it's the concept that I personally get reading Plato is that he's trying to bring things back to a state of perfection. And the poets, for example, have introduced corruption to the story and the nature of God, so to say. And he wants to bring that back to something closer to the ideal, closer to perfection. Now, the other thing that he says related to this is that the state, the rulers, the technocracy must control stories and music. And his definition of music is something like poetry, literature, art, things of that nature. And the reason why the technocracy must control these things is for the morals and the content. And it goes back to this idea of the poets inconsistently portraying the gods. There are plenty of stories some that are historical, some that are fiction, some that are kid stories, some that are religious. And a lot of these stories portray things like rebellion or some other version of chaos or injustice. And it's not good for people to be exposed to that, for people to think that that might even be a good thing. So think of something like what Machiavelli said about how the ruler needs to be viewed and perceived as being religious and good and moral, while in reality, behind the scenes, they need to be cutthroat. And that's just what needs to be done. Similar to how Plato says at the beginning of Republic that order is justice, but there are times when things that may be considered immoral must be done in order to maintain order and to keep a just society. Well, in both of these cases, with Machiavelli and with Plato, this applies to the rulers. This does not apply to the individual citizens. That's when it gets very dangerous. And so, in order to prevent this, you have to control all of the information, so to say. And this is the whole foundation of what's going on today with the narrative being controlled through everything from the media to big tech and social media and all of these different platforms, propaganda, all this stuff, that's what's being done. They're controlling the narrative. They're controlling stories. They're controlling art. Look at all of the things being remade, and it's all of these classics that are being remade into something that fits the woke milieu, so to say, like 1984 being rewritten from a woman's perspective to fit this uh, agenda of, you know, whatever that aspect of wokeism is. We won't get into all of that, but a lot of things are being redone. They're being re-perceived, re-portrayed, and in doing so, they are changing. They're spinning the story and they're controlling the story. They're controlling music. And again, it's art, it's entertainment, it's all of these things, as well as stories and information that people get. Today, we would call it the news. Back then, they didn't necessarily have the news in the format that we would think of it today, but that would fit into this category. And Plato says that only the rulers should be the ones that lie. And again, that goes with this idea that this applies to the rulers. It doesn't apply to the individuals. The rulers are an elite class, and it's a very small number. Most of society, most individuals are not rulers. They are not elite. They are not at the top of their class. They are just average citizens that really don't have anything too special about them. And so what we need to do is have the people that are special, that are elite, we need to have them be in charge. They should be the rulers and they should be the ones making decisions. So this is the elite ruling class. This is the idea of the expert class running the technocracy. This was the big thing with the original technocracy movement that, and with the movement today, it's this narrative that politicians are inept. It's not just that they're corrupt. It's not just that they have screwed up and done bad things, all of this kind of stuff. It's that they just aren't 
all that great at what they do. They're not good at things like having a business perspective, at being very effective and efficient. They're not good at sticking to what needs to be done. They instead have all of these side interests. They're not necessarily experts in their field. Half the time they don't even know what they're talking about. You can see this in the current debates with cryptocurrency and regulation and how most of these congressmen and senators, at least in America, they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to cryptocurrency. And it's very obvious when you listen to their questions and comments that they don't know anything about it. So should they really be the ones making decisions on how that industry is handled? Well, no. And that's the technocratic argument that they aren't the ones to do this. Elon Musk has recently made some statements as well. Um, he actually mentioned that government is the institution. It's basically the largest corporation with a monopoly on force, I think is how he said it, something similar to that. Elon Musk is the epitome of technocracy. I think I've mentioned it before, but his grandfather was actually involved in the technocracy movement. So he was probably raised in that milieu as well. And it definitely comes out. He's also in this realm of big tech and he is one of these tech entrepreneurs that, at least in my opinion, is going to be at the top level of the evolution of technocracy. And so you get similar views from him. It's this whole idea that there are elites, there are experts, is how they'll say it today. They're not going to say elites. That doesn't really sound very nice. But they will say that there are experts, and these are the people that should be making the decisions and managing society, resources, these types of things. The rulers must be dedicated and loyal to the state from childhood. And this is where we're going to get something a little bit different. When Plato is writing, his idea of the state is different than the technocracy, but it is also very similar. So he does not view things as uh, being in a state where there should be a king, and then that king should have a bureaucracy around him, and then you should have nobles, and this type of view that you might think of when you think of the ancient world or the feudal system or something like this, or modern times. Instead, he views it as more of an elite class of these philosopher kings that are always raising up a new elite class and testing them and only the best make it to the top. And then it's this elite class that run th runs things. So when I say the state, that is his view of the state. And that is much more akin to a technocracy. It's this group of experts. You have a panel, a council, whatever, of people that are experts in their field. And it's all related to technology and engineering and science and these types of things. And this is the group that runs things. So if I say the state, that's what he means by the state. It's the technocracy, which is why I am trying to implement the word technocracy instead of state as much as I can as I go through this, although I have written down state as the word. Now, with this, you need to make sure, like I said, that the rulers are dedicated and loyal to the state from the time that they are children. And the way to do this is to have constant surveillance on everyone. If you aren't monitoring people, if you don't have surveillance on them, then you don't know if they are loyal or not. So what you need to do is basically what's being done today, where you gather up all the data, all the information, all the messages, all the posts, all the stuff, all the words, all the ideas, you gather them all up and you assess them, you surveil them, you're running algorithms on them and you're determining who is loyal and who is not. This is the whole idea of a social credit score, which is in a way, in a soft way, in effect in America, but definitely in reality, in effect in China. And this is, if nothing else, the prototype for how things probably will be run in the future. And so th that's the idea here is that what we want to do is see who is loyal, who is not. Those that are loyal are still going to be separated into a few camps. And the main separation is that only a few of them will be elite. Most of them will not be. And that's the main separation. And that's the one that really counts. Now, with those that are elite and the small handful of children, because you can tell from a very young age who has this potential and you're always looking for that potential. Now, with these, these potential children are tested through extreme trials and temptations. So you want to push it. You want to test their loyalty. You want to test their belief, their ideology. 
And again, loyalty to the technocracy is more akin to loyalty to the ideology of technocracy, so to say. And so you want to test this and make sure that they are completely loyal. Uh, today, that's kind of being done with wokeism. And I'm sure you can see a lot of parallels there with that being introduced into the schools and kids being tested and pitted oftentimes against the ideologies of their parents and seeing if they are going more in line with the woke agenda or if they are being cut off by their parents' views. And that also goes to the breakdown of the family unit and other things that Plato might actually talk about. But that is what needs to be done. And that will weed out a lot of the people. So you went from a handful of kids that have potential to be in this elite class. Now you only have a few. And then those, those few need to be tested even further. And you have to basically tell them a massive lie that is a complete lie and see if they just buy it hook, line and sinker because it's coming from this elite council. If it's the philosopher kings telling them something, will they believe it no matter what? And they should. That would prove complete loyalty. It's kind of like in 1984, the idea of two plus two equaling five. It's this idea that you have to make sure that they are so dedicated and they are so loyal that regardless of the kind of facts behind the situation, they are going to be loyal to this system. And that's going to be the case no matter what. There is also this idea that I talked about before. You have this concept of the noble lie that sometimes it is it's in the best interest of society to lie to them, to uh, give off this massive lie in order to maintain a just society, in order to maintain order. There would be a lot more order. Uh, let's use the example of some studies that have been done related to aliens. So there was one a while ago done that kind of tested out the waters for how society would react if they were told that there were aliens that existed. And I, I, I'm assuming that this was assuming that aliens do exist. So let's say aliens exist, society finds out about it, there's a big announcement, what's going to happen? And the results were chaos, or predicted results at least. Now, if that's the case, and then the governments around the world were visited by beings of another world and another race, and they started negotiations with them and talks with them, and it is completely confirmed that aliens do exist. What would be the best thing for society to keep a just society, to keep order? Would it be to tell the truth and tell the people writ large that aliens exist and we're talking with them and everything's okay, but this is what's real? No, that would not be a good thing. That would cause chaos. That would be an injustice to society as a whole. Telling a massive lie is what would actually be the right thing to do in that situation, at least according to Plato. Now, moving on from that, he does talk about the division of labor and specialization and that this is the core of society. This is justice. And this can get more into like Austrian economics. It's more of that perspective where, especially at Wealth of Nations, like that kind of view. And what he says is that, again, justice is order. And if you look at a society and a society that is well-functioning and well-ordered, there are going to be people that are specialized in different areas. There is going to be a differentiation of people's tasks, a division of labor. And with this, this is going to create a very well-functioning society. And so this is just. Uh, it's similar to Marcus Aurelius. If you read him in Meditations especially, he talks about this idea. He, he was a Stoic philosopher and talks about how what is good and what is right is to do what you are made to do, what you are good at, to follow your skills and your aptitudes and do those to the fullest. That this is the the best thing. This is the ideal. This is the perfection. This is what you should be seeking in your life. And Plato says something pretty similar, that all individuals should do these things. He says that everyone has their job and their class and must perform diligently without disruption. Again, the whole point is order. The whole point is justice. You cannot have disruption, of course. And so what people need to do is do their job, know their role, stay in their role, and don't get outside of it. Don't cause disruptions. This is what we need done. And 
This is where the previous things really come into play. You have to control the narrative. You have to make sure you squash any dissent. You have to be monitoring everybody at all times. And if you are doing so, then you have a good chance of being able to keep people in their place, keep people in their class, keep people in their specialization, keep people from dissenting in any way. And when you do have dissent, squash it so it does not spread like a virus. And so this is what the technocracy does. They are following this exact playbook. Now, he does say that there should be no property and there should be no profits. This might sound a little like communism, and a lot of technocracy actually kind of is more in line with communism. It's more like mixing communism and complete libertarianism. It's kind of interesting. But with Plato, he says that property and profits corrupt motives. It corrupts morals. It corrupts society as a whole. It brings people from their state of loyalty, and it also distracts them from what you are trying to tell them as the rulers, as the elite class, as the technocracy. You are trying to steer society in a certain way and in a way that brings order to all things. And if people are more focused on profits or more focused on their own property or amassing property or materialism or whatever, then they may not be as focused on the goals of the technocracy. They may not be working for the common wheel kind of a thing. Instead, they're working for themselves. And this is not good from his state. It's a lot harder to control people that are out for their own good and their own interests than it is people that are out for the interest of all of society. And if you represent all of society, then yeah, they're going to do what you tell them. And that is what maintains the most order. And so he says that there shouldn't be property or profits, that the greatest happiness of the whole is a society of justice. So again, the greatest good for the greatest number. We've heard this a lot, especially recently. Think of coronavirus. Do your part that you need to make sacrifices. You need to sacrifice some of your freedoms and liberties for the sake of all of society, of heck, all of humanity. And this is the sacrifice you need to make because a society of justice is the greatest happiness for everyone. A society of order, a society where things are in control and under control. This is what is best for everyone. At least that's the narrative that's being told. That's the narrative of the technocracy. That's heck the narrative of the state, the modern state, even the more material state. This is what Plato says. That's what Machiavelli says. That's what they all say. This is the view of the elite class. Now, he does also say that wealth and poverty are both evil. So it's not just that having property and wealth and profits, that this can lead to evil, but the opposite is true too. If people are wanting, if they don't have what they need, if they don't have what they want, if they are not content, then they're going to cause problems. They're going to cause disruptions. This is injustice. And so this is bad. This is evil. We cannot have this. So you need to bring everyone on a common level. This is the goal where you have equality and equity. Doesn't this bring a bell to modern times and buzzwords that you hear today that the rich are too rich and the poor are too poor and we need to bring everybody down to and up to the middle class and everybody should be middle class. That's the utopia of communism as well, as well as other political ideologies. It's to level out the field economically. And this is what Plato says is best because the two extremes are evil and they are evil because they promote injustice, because they go against order. They create dissension. They create rebellion. All of these things stem from too much or too little. Now, what he says is the way to really try to control having a good elite class, a good group of uh, experts of these philosopher kings is to do a breeding program because it's, it's really important. So the idea is that for a just society to exist and to function well, you need this elite class of philosopher kings, these elites that will run things well and they are better than other people, and therefore they will run things better than other people. But you have to make sure that you have those elites. They are rare already. So what you need to do is have a breeding program. You need to work on a eugenics program, and you breed the best inbreed, 
kind of like you would for a racehorse or some kind of animals. Then, even though you're not going to always breed the best, you're increasing your chances, at least, of having more elites that are truly elite. Now, he also talks about social engineering. So you've got these two sides that I've talked about before with technocracy, especially as it evolves. You have a material side and immaterial side. You also have a side focused on physical science as well as a side focused on technological science. And the same is true here. You have eugenics, which is more of the breeding program, something more related to your physical sciences. And again, they didn't have the biological versus technological. That would all be considered physical. But in addition to the physical, they also have the uh, social, the psychological, and that is a science as well, and it is just as important. So he talks about social engineering and how you need to steer individuals to their own class according to their talent and according to their breeding. So again, what is just is for everybody to know their role and stay within it and have their own class, their division of labor, and only this tiny elite will be the rulers of society. They will be controlling things. And so what you need to do is make sure that you're steering individuals such that they go into these roles that they should be going into. And this is all according to talent and to breeding. Of course, if they are more well-bred, then they have a better chance of being one of these elite philosopher kings. And if they are not well-bred, then probably not. But that's not guaranteed. Every once in a while, you will have some people that stand out that weren't necessarily bred for it, but they happen to be, through the luck of the dice, genetically better. And again, this is all Plato's view. This is not my view. I am just explaining how he views things here and explains them. So that's what you should do is use social engineering to make sure you maintain order and justice and have a, a well divided society, one that is divided the way it should be, according to people's talents, according to uh, making them content. And you use social engineering, you control the narrative, you do all these things to make sure that people stay content. It's bread and circuses, so to say. He doesn't get into that, but that's the idea. You want everybody to be content. Uh, Machiavelli talks about that, how you do want the people you are controlling to be content because if they are not content, then you have a bigger chance of them rebelling and that is not good. Again, order versus chaos. Now, he also talks about how Plato does about how you shouldn't heal uselessly. It's a waste of medicine. So if someone is in this much lower class, if they are not contributing a lot to society, then don't waste the medicine on them. You should save it for the elite or someone that is an expert in their field. These are the people that deserve the resources of society. Those at the bottom, just let them die out. It's, in a sense, part of the eugenics program, although it's maybe not a direct and active a way of implementing that. So you've got like the Nazi regime that would actively just kill people that they felt were in that bottom class. But instead of that, we'll just let them die, so to say. And this, again, is something that's being discussed today. You have Bill Gates talking about death panels, and he was talking about that years ago. I don't know, maybe even a decade ago. I don't remember when uh, there was the first interview where he mentioned that idea of how you might have scarce medical resources, and when you do, you have to make these decisions on who deserves it and who doesn't. And that's a call that just has to be made. And he says that we should be making we should be discussing these concepts, that we should be talking about these things. And that's where you get the field of bioethics, or that's at least part of it. And so this is something going on today with coronavirus as well. There are hospitals and doctors that have decided that if someone has chosen to not take the shot, then they will not receive medical care. These people won't treat them if they are not in the uh, obedient vaccinated class. And so with this, you're not necessarily just killing the people that didn't get the shot. You're more just letting them die. And it's for the good of society because these people represent disorder. They represent injustice. They represent chaos. And this is not good. Again, that's because our current society is operating under a very technocratic ideology, even if we don't clearly see that. Now, he also says that you shouldn't allow criminals to live. 
because, you know, that's just not good. You don't want them around. Criminals, get rid of them. And I don't have any direct comparisons to that. The criminal justice side of things with uh, things such as the woke agenda and technocracy, I, I haven't heard a whole lot about it. So I can't give you some modern examples. It's just a note I had. So take it for what it is. Now, he does clarify and reaffirm that disrupting society or rebelling is an injustice. And so uh, that is, I guess that goes along with the idea of people that don't deserve healing and criminals. These are people that are disrupting society and therefore that's an injustice. Or these are people that can't do their task well. They don't fit their class well. They don't have the aptitude, so to say, that's actually an injustice. And so therefore they don't deserve to continue to live at least if that is something that is needing to be decided. Now, Plato does say something interesting here, and it does fit with the kind of more woke agenda as well, that women should be involved in the same professions as men, that, that women are perfectly capable, that they should be doing the same things, that there may be aptitudes that men are better at than women and women better at than men, but it shouldn't be this... Uh, segmented society where women are not able to participate in professions like was common at that time, like has what has been common in more modern history as well. And you get this idea of the feminist movement. Now, like I've talked about with wokeism, how wokeism is rooted in good things that were taken to an extreme that turned them evil and corrupted. It, it's the same thing with something like feminism. Uh, Plato's point is actually very legitimate and very valid, but when you look at how it's manifested in the modern world with feminism and wokeism, that just gets it into a very poisonous and corrupted version of that. Now, Plato is uh, also not necessarily viewing things the way most of us would when it comes to women. Uh, that was a positive thing, I would say, but the next one, is not quite as positive for most people, and that would be that women and children should be shared in the community. And so uh, women shouldn't be married. Marriage is kind of a dirty word, uh, kind of like Brave New World. We'll get into that. So uh, you shouldn't have that type of union. You also shouldn't have the parent-child relationship. Instead, the child is a child of the community and the woman or the man is a member of the community and there aren't these isolated loyalty pockets uh, that is not a good thing for the unity of all of society again brave new world everyone belongs to everyone else and yeah again we'll get into brave new world because that's one of the other illusions here and so when he talks about this he says that you don't know who your child is and instead and instead of being committed to one partner which a child makes you more committed and you are more committed to that child if you don't have this stuff then you encourage the top of breed to breed and it's more about the breeding than it is about raising your family because there is no such thing as family again getting down to break the breakdown of the family unit which is happening in modern times and has been for quite a while this is plato's point is that you shouldn't have a family unit that divides loyalties. And instead, everyone should be loyal to the social body, not to a family. And you could expand that concept. It kind of is a fractal pattern here where you say, he would probably say that people shouldn't be loyal to the state, so to say, the government, the politician, the ruler. They should be loyal to the technocracy, the system as a whole. And it's that same idea here, just on a fractal scale. He says that state regulation and permissions should be uh, applied to reproducing and reproduction. So the state should control who breeds, when you breed, if you're allowed to breed with people. Um, they should control, uh, I guess, just the environment of who is together. So if you group more elite people together, they are more likely to make these connections and to breed, which then, therefore, are more likely to have children. And you're encouraging the best, best in breed to have more kids and these types of things. So this is kind of similar to the ideal 
um, the idea that I've talked about previously about some of the elite colleges in earlier American history or uh, modern history, earlier modern history, uh, where you had a lot of these elites, uh, the robber barons, those types, but also under them, not necessarily that high up, but a lot of elites that were wealthy and had some power and influence and money, and they wanted the best for their kids, but they didn't really want their kids mingling with you know, the normal people, the lower classes, the peons. And instead they wanted them to meet and breed and be connected with the elites because they were the elite class. It's, you know, very similar to what we're talking about here. And so you had these elite colleges that sprung up and this is where the elites would send their kids. Their kids were at the age of meeting other individuals and connecting and breeding and getting married and all of these things. And so it promoted this whole idea of eugenics and best in breed, these types of things. So yeah, that is something that is not new and it is not just old. Now he does say that you should gather elite children together and again, encourage breeding among the elite. So he says the exact same thing as people did with these elite schools, elite programs. You see this happening a lot where you have these elite cliques that get together in various forms and fashions. And that's what he says you should do. You gather the children together. They make their bonds, connections, friendships, relationships. And that the result is that you're going to have more breeding among that group. He says that philosophers overall are the best rulers, that they are lovers of truth, knowledge, and justice. They are focused on justice in themselves and society as a whole. And they are also able to mentally understand and ration out that lies and infringements are sometimes necessary, and they can do this properly. It, but only the philosopher can do this well. A philosopher is a reluctant ruler. They learn arithmetic above all else for governance and problem solving. So this is stats, algorithms, technology, science. They're more oriented towards the sciences, so to say. That's what the philosopher focuses on, and he applies these to governance and problem solving with the society. They prioritize reason and thinking above senses and emotion. And again, you get into more of the, the idea of a Brave New World. I'm not using the illusion, but we does this as well. And I think This Perfect Day is another book that I highly, highly recommend that talks about it as well. But it's this idea of getting rid of or at least numbing emotion and focusing more on reason and logic. And that's applied differently in those books. And yeah, not worth getting into. But uh, this idea that emotions can cloud your thinking, can make you more irrational. This is not good. This is not justice. This is not order. The philosopher doesn't have this problem very much. Um, he says that dialectic is the only way to knowledge. So it's not just that you are fed information. It's that you are learning this through a dialectic process and talking with the other philosophers. You have this group of philosophers and philosopher kings, and that is how philosophers learn. That's how they discuss. That's how they teach. There is no compulsory education. And so when you don't have compulsory education, you have people naturally shifting and allocating themselves to the fields that they have aptitudes for and skills for within the world, within the society. The lower class generally stays in the lower class, but you do have people that just end up being interested in learning. They're interested in discussions and ideas and these types of things. So you, you kind of get this natural test for self-motivation. And when you have compulsory indoctrination and uniformity, these are not necessarily true education. And so this is what we have today, where we have compulsory education, we have indoctrination. We don't have true education, at least by Plato's definition here. So even though technically we have compulsory education, um, it would not be, I actually don't think we have compulsory education according to Plato's definition of what true education is through dialectic, through a philosopher's perspective. But 
within our modern society, those who choose to learn more, those who choose to truly learn through a dialectic method or truly uh, learn to wrestle with ideas and get into more of this perspective, these people then are shown to have this self-motivation to learn. They stand out above the rest. And this is where you have that kind of division that you have tested the self-motivation for people to truly educate themselves. And then you can pick out who those are and who those elite people are. And so the final thing that I have listed here is that imitation leads to pleasure seeking and emotion and away from virtue. And this is what art is. And so uh, the philosopher is not focused, again, on emotion and pleasure seeking. This is something more in line with a dictator. When you go through Plato's, I guess, evolution of the state and of a society, devolution, I should say, as it gets down into democracy and into tyranny. I guess last time I talked about Plato, I got into all of this, which is encouraging to me because that means that I talked about things I did not talk about here, which means I probably talked about things here that I didn't talk about there. So maybe I've accomplished my goal fairly well. That would be good. But what he says is that you shouldn't really have this form of art. And you could apply that now to modern entertainment, to movies, to shows, these types of things. These encourage pleasure seeking and emotion. They do not encourage virtue. So I think, at least my opinion, would be that this applies to the rulers, to the philosopher kings. And philosophers, as he explained, are definitely the best rulers. They are the ones focused on the science and on logic and rationality. This is the the Elon Musks of the world. They are focused on things that are more logical and rational. They are focused on science and pushing the boundaries of science. They are, look at big tech, they are gathering up all this data. They're running it through algorithms. They are spitting out more objective conclusions to things that are, they're objective. They are data-based. They are not based on emotion and subjective opinions. And this is what should rule, according to Plato. It's these philosopher kings that are very technocratic and technical and scientific, and that is the technocracy. The technocracy rules. Now, what I will say is that on the flip side of how philosophers shouldn't be focused on art because it leads to injustice, imitation, art is imitation. Uh, If you think of a movie or a show, it's imitating something that really happened or could really happen. It's an imitation of life. It is not real life. And imitating things leads to pleasure seeking and emotion. And so when we watch a good movie, a good show, it stirs up our emotions. And when we think of what a good show is, it is something that gives us pleasure to watch it, to be entertained by it. And these aren't really things that are good for a just society, definitely not good for a ruler. So he does want to control these, but he thinks that, again, going back to earlier in the beginning where the state should interpret what God is and how God or the gods have manifested themselves in relation to humanity, the same would be true of the rest of music, that there is a role for music and some music is okay, but You want to make sure that that music is controlled, that it is giving a specific narrative, that people are not completely focused on that, because then you don't have this specialization and division of labor and people doing their jobs and staying in their classes. But there is a role to play for making sure that people are content, making sure that they stay within their class, they stay within their order, that instead of trying to learn truly and truly educate themselves and become more like this elite philosopher class, in which case they would probably cause disruptions. Instead of that, they are contented and satisfied by the bread and circus, by the state approved music, so to say. And again, kind of like wealth and poverty are both bad because they both lead to chaos or disruptions. And this would be injustice. The same would be true of someone that is totally uneducated or someone that is educated closer to the level of an elite, either one of those people are probably going to cause disruptions in your society. You don't want either one. You want this mid-level uniform education. And again, uniformity indoctrination, our current public education system. Yes, that is what we have. And so I'm going to stop there. I think I could talk about all this stuff for much longer. But again, I've done other episodes on Plato. So if you want it, figure it out. Do a search. 
find the other episodes and you can listen to them and learn more. But for today, I will be done there and I will continue on in the next few episodes to get into the other illusions. We have Plato's Brave New World Foundation. So this was Plato from Plato's Republic. The next one, I guess, would be Brave New World. That would be Aldous Huxley. And then the following one will be Asimov's Foundation series. So I'll get into uh, whatever I get into for those. I have notes for those too, and I've written them out in similar ways, and we will just continue this series as it goes. So I hope that you have enjoyed this. I hope I have gotten some new information or a new perspective and been able to apply these pretty well. I have actually gotten some good feedback on the past few episodes on this series in particular that people are enjoying it. And so that's wonderful. Hopefully all of you are enjoying it. At the same time, I have had a few people drop off of the um, financial support on Patreon, and that is perfectly fine and okay. But if anybody does have issues where they are not as happy with the things that I'm covering or how I'm covering them, then please bring them to my attention and let me know. I always like your feedback. That is always helpful. But also, do not feel bad at all if uh, you need to uh, not spend an extra few dollars a month on supporting this show, or if you're just not into it anymore, not listening. Hey, that's perfectly fine. No big deal. No hard feelings. If you are interested and would like to support the show and give some money to pay for the hosting fees and the equipment and all the things that I have, all the research, the books, the yeah, all the things uh, currently I am. And I think I still am, even with a few people dropping off, I think I'm still able to cover all of the costs, but usually once a year or so, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, I do make a bigger purchase. Like I purchased some new recording equipment last year and I guess not quite a year ago. And I would like to have a website for the podcast. That's something I've always wanted to do since I started this. I just don't really have the time or the money to do it, but there are uh, different times when more money is helpful. So I guess we can all understand that, that money is always helpful. But if you would like to give your money to this show, visit the Patreon page or, and visit the subscribe star page or if you would like, you can look at the cryptocurrency addresses and just send it directly. There are some perks associated. And as a reminder, if you are a subscriber and you haven't logged on recently, then you should do so. I have posted another section of the book that I'm writing. So especially if you're interested in this season of the podcast and comparisons to the original church and these types of things, that is more the focus of my book. And I have been releasing sections of that section at a time. And I did release another section maybe a week ago or so. So if you haven't seen that and you're interested, check that out. I think that's everything I have. I did mention uh, last episode that if you are interested in getting connected with an agorist group or uh, people that are like-minded or want some examples of these groups so that you can be more involved or start one yourself, reach out to me. I did have at least one person reach out uh, right after I released that episode and they were a little outside of my range. I said the Southeast, I should probably clarify. Tennessee, Georgia, maybe like Asheville, North Carolina area, uh, some of Alabama, kind of that broad range is where I have some direct connections. I don't necessarily have a lot of connections along the coast or further out. So th that's something that I am trying to get. So if you do have some more and you have connections yourself, or you may be a connection, or you may start a group and would like to connect, that would be wonderful. I would love to spread the connections to uh, a farther reaching territory. So that would be wonderful. I would recommend getting involved on Freedom Cells and looking for a group on there, freedomcells.org, I think. There's actually one.com and one.org. I think it should be obvious which one is the right one once you get on there. But that is something I would recommend. And also, I, I would be open to anyone joining the Discord group that we have for our local Agorist group. There is a set of channels that are more general and more macro focused for specifically regional connections. And so if there are people that are not necessarily local, that they would come to meetings and things like that, but they would like to uh, get involved at least loosely with some like-minded folks on a platform like that, then feel free to reach out to me. I think that's all I've got for today. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all of your support. Please do, if you haven't, leave a review 
or at least a rating. I still don't have very many of those. It's been a few years and yeah, numbers are still down. So if you would be willing to do so, I'm sure that that would help out a lot to get some more exposure. So thank you again. Please do those things. I'm out of here. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye.